Hello and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borkson keto Today I'm speaking with Lowell Balkin, Portfolio Manager of the Securian AM Real Asset Income Fund and Real Estate Securities Fund, to get a first-hand look at the decision-making process for real estate investors and some of the broad themes they're keeping an eye on right now. Lowell, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sarah. So, first of all, can you talk a bit about how Securian makes allocation decisions to real estate, both in terms of the property sectors and geographic diversity? Yes. Well, you know, we're fundamental investors, and we focus on the individual uh, REIT securities in, in the real estate uh, securities strategy for sure. But we also think sector allocation is an important part of the process. We have a proprietary valuation model that we use, we use for over 10 years now, that tracks the relative relationships between the individual securities. If the standard deviation is large, then it might signal either expensive or cheapness within the securities, kind of a reversion to the norm approach. Um, but we also introduce a lot of qualitative analysis that we do. We keep an internal database that, that tracks each individual company behind the security um, to have another check from a quantitative standpoint whether a, a transaction is, is warranted. Um, we also do that to a degree with sector allocation, where we end up with in, individual securities, bubbles up to the top and shows us where um, we are in terms of security allocation. And we also do a check on whether or not the securities themselves come out of the model as cheap or expensive. And we might tweak our uh, transactions and our weights accordingly from a sector standpoint. Now, geographic diversity, we feel, is very important. And I think that during the pandemic, it could not have been a more vivid demonstration of that um, immediately because of the dislocation, really, that was occurring and the in-migration occurring within the country, um, predominantly from uh, the inner cities out and then from the coast out to the Sun Belt, there was a, a distinct economic change within the performance of properties in general in terms of people moving across the country. And so it was a really a Sun Belt versus a coastal argument and uh, initially in the pandemic, Sunbelt was winning out in terms of performance of the underlying companies that had exposure there. But it would have been a mistake to keep an overweight in the Sunbelt because as we were watching for our, our relative value model uh, to progress during the pandemic, we saw that the securities with exposure on the East Coast were becoming extremely cheap on a relative basis, and it was perhaps time to position there. So being able to be nimble from a geographic uh, investment standpoint and taking those positioning worked out well for us and I think is very important um, and could not cannot be ignored, which is what played out at least so far within the pandemic. Great. And can you describe how Securian AM performs relative valuations for assets in your real asset income fund? For our real asset income fund, which by the way also invests in REITs, we follow the same process but with a more yield-oriented basis, more of an income approach. Cash flow growth is very important and is an overriding analysis in both strategies, both REITs and real assets. But we want to be very comfortable in, with an income approach that the dividends and distributions are covered well and they're not just high yielding because there may be distress sometime in the future. But since it's a multi-asset strategy, we deploy that same model that I talked about that tracks the standard deviation between securities and flags, whether or not there might be expensive and cheap. 
We not only do that with the same practice within REITs, but we do it among the other assets within the multi-asset structure that we have, principally energy infrastructure and utilities. And over the longer term, what their relationships are and what they might flag from a sector allocation standpoint. Additionally, um, because it's multi-asset, we not only check the long-term history between each other, but also the broader equity market, usually the S&P 500, and with interest rates, particularly because this is a yield product. Once again, uh, because we really are a fundamental type of investor, we look at qualitative factors as just as important, so we still have an internal database, we have information on the individual companies, just to make sure we have that check and to see whether a transaction perhaps is warranted. And taking a broader view, how would you describe real estate fundamentals right now? And would you say that REITs are attractively valued? This is a question that uh, we're constantly debating among the portfolio managers and with others. We think commercial real estate fundamentals are strong to somewhat mixed right now. A great example is uh, one of the hardest hit sectors during the pandemic retail is now just recovering to nearly pre-pandemic levels and maybe even above in, in some cases. However, sectors such as apartments and self-storage have recovered to the point where they're actually on a rental rate basis, they are at a higher level than they were pre-pandemic. Apartments back to 2019 in terms of rental rates and storage back to 2016. And then other sectors such as industrial, data center, and single-family rentals really didn't even hit a speed bump that much during the pandemic. And now at this point, in the cycle are gaining occupancy where they're really starting to push rental rates. So when you look at some other sectors that aren't quite there yet, particularly office and hotel, there is a different dynamic, of course, going on here than in the pandemic than other recessions, and that's the work-from-home dynamic, which is what has hit office, and the Delta variant even threw an obstacle further into the process there because just as companies were ready to bring more workers back into the office, the Delta variant basically delayed some of that. So vacancies and leasing perhaps is a little bit weaker in office than it would be in a normal um, cycle coming out of a recession. Hotels, the same thing. Uh, We really look at business travel to help drive hotels, and, of course, that virtually disappeared uh, during the early uh, pandemic stages. And now the Delta variant probably stalled that out a little bit, so they are not close to where they were uh, pre-pandemic. And then healthcare is an interesting sector. It's kind of mixed because of the different type of facilities. For instance, medical office buildings are probably back to near where they were um, pre-pandemic uh, simply because early on they had to delay elective surgeries and other things, obviously, that didn't take as much priority with what was going on at the pandemic, and they lost parking income and all these types of things. Now they're about back. However, senior housing, not quite there, but they are gaining occupancy fairly quickly now that vaccination rates are up among residents and even within personnel, which is very important. And then finally, skilled nursing is trailing quite a bit, not back to where they were with recovery. They really need to get the funds that are set aside from the U.S. government to help them as a bridge going forward, the more fragile um, uh, tenant uh, resident there. And uh, in the future, the government really needs those beds for Medicare and Medicaid-type tenants so or uh, occupants. So 
um, we will see a longer path to recovery for them. In terms of the landscape going forward, it's very favorable, we think, with GDP and employment growth. GDP, I know the uh, some of the the projections have come down to a degree. Third quarter still positive. Employment growth and non-farm payroll wasn't what people expected, but we think going forward, employment will be strong as as job openings still are above the actual unemployed population right now. And that's very important because, in particularly in real estate, you want to see jobs, jobs, jobs. That really pushes all the sectors to a large degree. And with um, with uh, with our uh, our allocations within real asset income. We're looking at the energy infrastructure area. We're, we're seeing uh, some of the uh, commodity prices go up. That, that's a positive for us as well. Um, in some of the sectors within REITs, um, we're very much watching the uh, demand and also the new development. And right now, demand is higher than what the supply can deliver in, in things like industrial, apartments, self-storage. In fact, it's pushing off occupancies above rate growth and also boding well for the REITs and across uh, energy companies and utilities. They're taking advantage of their investment-grade status, and they've issued long-term bonds at very low interest rates and very tight spreads. And so suddenly, their capital structure is a very strong position right now. And that's interesting because private equity is out there and they're buying and they're pushing down cap rates, capitalization rates, pushing up valuations. And some might say that shows that the public markets are actually cheaper than the private equity markets right now. We believe that's the case. And so the public companies are taking advantage of this and they're selling from the bottom of their portfolios into those high valuations and they're funding um, growth initiatives, growth opportunities, whether it be development or redevelopment, et cetera. So they'll be in a great position. Um, now, to your question about valuations, you know, as a whole, uh, we track REITs versus some longer-term uh, statistics. Um, REITs right now are, are trading slightly above net asset value. Um, we also track their... Um, implied capitalization rates versus the yield in corporate bonds, um, which is shows that REITs are, are somewhat cheap. Um, but when we, care, we compare those implied cap rates to the historic spread of the 10-year Treasury, it's basically in line. Um, versus the S&P 500, now remember in 2020 and 2021, uh, when the S&P ran, um, REITs were cheap relative to the S&P 500. But then in 2021, REITs uh, at least in the first eight months, had their go at it and became expensive. However, in September, there was a sell-off rather the S&P 500s. So at this point, they're less expensive. So it's a mixed picture in terms of valuation, but we're very confident um, uh, where the economy is going in terms of real estate and other sectors, especially energy. And we feel that um, growth is still in the offing for these um, sectors, Sarah. Great. And sustainability gets a lot of attention these days. How important is it for investors to assess the long-term viability of real estate assets and their green technology credentials? Yeah, this is a really great question. It's one that we're all really enthused with because in terms of getting back to REITs, virtually all the public REITs strategically target newer state-of-the-art properties, either through the ground of development, redevelopment, or acquisitions. And 
As I mentioned, since REITs are wealth capitalized, they have demonstrated in the past their ability to survive recessions and now all types of recessions and now uh, pandemics as well. And that's important because if you're if you have the ability to be confident in your sources of capital and you have a longer term horizon to make investments, then you can look at some of these investments into things like solar power, uh, smart home types of investments into apartment buildings for industrial with the very large one-level uh, industrial buildings to install solar panels there. These things sometimes don't play out in terms of energy costs as a return on investment for a long period of time, and REITs have the ability to do that. In fact, they've been doing this for quite some time because way back in the 90s, 1998 to be exact, the U.S. Green Building Council put together something called the Leadership and Energy and Environmental Change Lead Development. They called it L-E-E-D, and it became the gold standard. In fact, any real commercial building development of any size now perhaps seeks that LEED gold certification. And what it involves is a whole laundry list of things, and it's not just energy efficiency, it's air quality, it's access to alternative transportation, it's green initiatives, it's productivity, sustainability, and those types of things. And that has been become the standard going forward. And many REITs that we own in both portfolios are good representatives of these standards. Uh, Alexander Real Estate, which we own, is a life science company that basically sets the standard there as far as we're concerned. Kilroy is office. Prologis is one of those large industrial companies that does install solar panels, for instance, and, and Well Tower is another. Also, many REITs are issuing green bonds. Regency, Alexandria, Avalon Bay, an apartment REIT, et cetera. Uh, we're very fortunate, we feel, to have these high-quality REITs that are leaders in this type of movement, and we have plenty of these in our portfolio. And, you know, that, actually, there's one sector I might mention, data centers, that sometimes get a black eye because they use so much electricity, but they use so much electricity because they have these server farms that are really the nerve centers for the Internet. And actually, during the pandemic, that perhaps, one could argue, saved a lot of energy because people were working from home instead of commuting. But nonetheless, the large data center REITs have taken the forefront, and many have committed to be, become more green, the largest of which, Equinix, actually has committed to be to climate neutrality, neutrality globally by 2030, and has a very high percentage of renewable energy that they use for their servers. So going forward, I think that this is very important for uh, investors because as it turns out, REITs tend to score fairly well in many of the ESG rating systems. And for investors, this potentially could make REIT securities more attractive um, because it might attract a wider range of investors. What tools does Securian use in its own assessment of the ESG performance of its real estate investments? Well, in addition to the surveillance that I just talked about, where we record quantitatively in our internal database and have for several years what we see the REITs doing and how they're reporting and anything we can get our hands on, quite frankly, we now include more of the ESG considerations because we know that that's what the investment audience is looking for. It started in Europe. It's now in the U.S. It's something that's in demand. You can't ignore it. So that's that's part of our qualitative database, much more than it had been prior to this. We also have, uh, in the past, before ESG was a thing, focused a lot on governance. That we knew going forward proved to be 
positive for economic returns because that's what good governance leads to. And so one of the firms, research firms that we really enjoy their insight on this is Green Street Advisors. And they do a good job of tracking governance and and their research is something that we include in our database to make sure that we have a good check on what's going on internally in the, in the C-suite. Also, we subscribe to Glass-Lewis. Uh, they're very helpful in our proxy voting, bringing up some of the issues going forward, many of which I, I can tell you because I personally vote, involve more and more some of these ESG issues, and we keep well informed with their help. And then finally, there are many uh, research firms that have popped up. We, we subscribe to Sustainalytics. They're an ESG research and ratings firms. Where they're really helpful is they're topical. The topics that are coming across the board that we might not realize are out there, they flag them. We're able to see whether or not our holdings, how they compare, and all of these things, scenario testing, things that we like to do as portfolio managers to grade and potentially push transactions within our portfolio. And finally, what are some of the larger trends that you and your team will be watching over the coming year with regard to REIT market performance? Well, obviously, Sarah, we debate these a lot. You know, there, there's, of course, the macro, which I talked about uh, earlier, GDP, employment growth, and personal income, all big drivers. Um, employment growth, we're very bullish at this point. We see it on the ground. We have meetings directly, although they're over Zoom now or other uh, virtual meetings with management teams. So we get a good feel regionally across the country. Um, if there's just a a scarcity of workers right now. So anybody that can get a job will get a job and, and potentially wages are going to be pushed upward. Um, we're looking at, as I said earlier, the supply of, of new development in sectors relative to the current stock. There was definitely a pause during the pandemic. That's starting up now um, for apartments. It's starting up for self-storage, uh, for other sectors as well. And however, other sectors were, for instance, were office, there is a low economic vacancy right now relative to the longer term, not so much. So we're following those trends as well. Um, each sector that we follow has their own trends. I mentioned before business travel for hotels, which is slowly picking up. Um, retail centers, uh, retail sales for shopping centers or malls, that's also uh, picking up as well. For our real asset uh, strategy, we're watching the uh, commodities, obviously, going forward. What is OPEC going to be doing? Um, they really are somewhat of the governor, as this, uh, Saudi Arabia is, for global oil. But how does that impact the um, basins within the U.S.? And is there a way that that price of oil will swing right now? Natural gas is at very high levels going forward, and we're facing potentially a global crunch in some countries, such as the U.K. and even China. Um, so we want to position ourselves uh, to take advantage of that as well. We would be remiss to not mention stagflation because that's a term that is popping up quite a bit now these days because we are seeing inflation, which to this point the Federal Reserve has talked about as being transitory, but it looks like it's less than transitory. It, it might not last longer term, but it's less than transitory. And we don't think stagflation is a base case, but we still position ourselves for the shorter-term inflation, for instance, lower-duration equity assets, apartments have only 12-month leases and or longer, maybe, 
um, self-storage the same way, hotels uh, overnight. So it's those longer duration type of tenants where you capture inflation in the short term and away from the longer term um, leases like the net lease portfolio, which are more bond-like. So we're, we're de-emphasizing net lease in both our strategies, but in the real asset strategy, we're emphasizing energy, for instance. So those are the trends that we're following right now, as best as I can, I can describe how we're looking at them. We don't know for sure how that lasts going throughout the uh, 2022, but we do like the way that we're positioned now. Lowell, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're welcome, Sarah. Thank you. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platforms.